Well, hey, everyone. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to be here once again uh, to do this Q&A. And uh, this, this time we have actually a special guest with us this morning. So um, special guest, why don't you introduce yourself? Hey, everybody. My name is Steve Tamayo. I'm the executive pastor at Chatham Community Church. I'm going to try to do my best Alex Kirk impression by talking really fast and being really excited about things, except he's not monotone. He's more cool than that. Alex is on vacation this week, so you're stuck with me. Sorry about that. Yeah, and uh, those of us who were fortunate enough to be at Pittsburgh this past Sunday got to hear Steve preach, and both of us actually preached on 1 Corinthians 13, and we talked about love. Yes. Yes, actually, Jaime was able to incorporate at least three different song titles into his message, and I was trying to think through, man, like I should have done that. That was such a great idea. Which song title should I have included? So Jaime, which ones did you did you manage to land in the message? Yeah, I included uh, that Tina Turner classic, What's Love Got to Do With It? Got uh, to Do With It. Got to Do With It. Uh, I included also Hathaway's What is Love? Baby Don't Hurt Me. Don't Hurt Me. No Mole. Indeed. And... Uh, <laughs> And now in the laughter, I've forgotten the third one that I included. I want to know what love is. Oh, yeah, yeah. Why, why don't you show me, Steve? Yeah. yeah. I believe that. Is that uh, Peter Cetera in Chicago? I believe I, it is. I have no idea. I'm not nearly as musical as you. It might be. You know, so... But some, no, it might not be. Might it be foreign or maybe... Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. 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 You, you should email Jaime at Jaime foreigner. at org to uh, correct him on this and or to tell him other songs he could have included yeah, like yeah. um love is a verb by dc talk some old school ccm yeah i uh, could have done um somebody to love by queen oh yeah that one got left on the cutting room yeah. floor oh man somebody to and this is why steve preaches and doesn't sing yes yes all you need is love love is all you need yes uh-huh yeah yeah so send jaime not me, but send Jaime extra songs for his uh, song reference file. Now, my, my, my final answer is going to be Foreigner was the one that sang uh, uh, that song that I couldn't remember. It's probably been covered by some other people, though, right? <laughs> yeah. Because it's, you know, it's, a, it's a classic. Yeah. I want to know what love is. Yeah. Um, so, all right. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, often called the love chapter. I, I shouldn't be the one to say that because you've got the deep voice. The love chapter. Yes, that works great. It's one that's often preached at at weddings, right? Like I've I've heard a lot of people use it as weddings, but it's not just romantic love that they're talking about in the passage. Indeed. In fact, I don't think it's even the primary context of the passage. Paul is actually talking to a community, the church community, who is figuring out how to function in this new reality of being followers of Jesus. I don't think it's inappropriate to use it in a in a marriage context, but... We, we miss out on a, on a bit when we uh, leave it exclusively to, to that context. Yeah, and uh, that community in Corinth was not only figuring it out, but they were struggling to figure it out. Like, Aren't we when, all? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and there's something encouraging about that, right? There's something encouraging about like, hey, these people didn't have it all figured out. In fact, they had such a need for help. They got part of the Bible written for them. And so when we have a hard time figuring out love in our own context Mm -hmm. here in the church or in our families or in our broader community, we're in good company with the saints throughout history. Yeah, indeed we are. And uh, I I think it's also comforting to know that some of the tensions that we experience now aren't new. 
Yeah. Yeah. We actually got a question about one of those. Do you want to share the question? We got, we got one question this week. Uh, we are so grateful to the faithful person who jumps in. I think it's every Sunday night at like 10 o'clock or nine o'clock and, and submits a, a thoughtful question. We're just, that's been really, really helpful. So if you're listening out there, anonymous question asker, thank you. Oh gosh, that had not occurred to me that they may be throwing these awesome, thoughtful questions at us and not actually listening to hear if there's a response. Oh, that would be that would be sad. I hope they're listening because I do have, hope so too. Because you guys have been giving good, good, thoughtful responses to it. Yeah, and the question to summarize it is asking about the tension between sacrificial love, the type of all giving sacrificial love that uh, that Paul talks about early on in the passage. And the the idea of loving oneself, so caring for oneself. So how do you how do you talk to or what do you do with people who advocate for a type of sacrificial love that completely ignores any type of caring for oneself and sees actually uh, that uh, that downplaying of one's own condition as virtuous? Oh yeah, well you know, and that was part of my ministry upbringing. Was you know was surrounded by people who believed almost like that John Wesley phrase where he says I light myself on fire and people come to watch me burn, mm. right? Like he's talking about like fire of the love of Jesus, not like literally lighting himself on fire. But this idea of of as you pour out your life, as you serve, as you sacrifice, that that is actually your suffering is what creates your witness and. People would just empty themselves out. They would drive and drive and drive. And one of the things I noticed is it created a community where where people started to look down on others who didn't serve in the same way. That was part of my experience. Have you ever experienced this of of being a part of a community or seeing someone who so prioritized sacrificial service that there wasn't space for self-care in their life or in their community? Yeah, yeah. I think the communities that I also spent my first years as a follower of Jesus in advocated for this in a way. And in fact, I think I inherited some of that as well. Uh, there was even this phrase, and I'm translating because I learned it in Spanish. Well, you that, can say it in Spanish and no, then translate. No, no, no. I'll translate. I'll translate. Uh, that it was better to uh, waste oneself, spend oneself fully for Jesus than to rust for the world. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Use your gifts, or they will rust. That yeah. idea, yeah. and it creates this false dichotomy. It it, it creates a sense that uh, caring for oneself is actually opposed to the gospel, or it's opposed to Christian love. And you know, in in that scenario, when there's so much that's talked about against selfishness and whatnot, it 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 it, it almost rings true. That of course you know it is virtuous to give all of oneself, and of course it is virtuous to pay no attention to oneself. But if one equates selfishness to paying any attention to oneself, I think one has missed the missed the boat. Well, in fact, I think that's one of those cases where maybe someone has gone all the way around the circle and has ended up back in a place of, if not selfishness. Uh, Self-control mm-hmm. or uh, a self-oriented perspective on who's in charge of one's life. I was reading today, just ironically, I hadn't seen this question, was reading in Ezekiel in my time with the Lord today. And in the section of Ezekiel I'm in, the Lord is just like railing against the 
nation of Judah for, for some of the things that they've been doing wrong. And over and over again, he says, I gave you the Sabbath as a gift. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, not as a gift, sorry. He says, I gave you the Sabbath as a sign that people are going to look at you and, and it's not your service or your sacrifice that's going to be the sign. It's not, it's not just your obedience to the law. It's, it's your full obedience to the law, including your obedience to the law about self-care, mm-hmm. Sabbath, rest, embracing your limits, accepting, as, as Psalm says, that the Lord has set my boundary lines in pleasant places. Yeah. And, and so I think when we get to this place where we are so focused on how we can sacrifice that we become incapable of self-care, we've actually become incapable in that moment of obeying the Lord. We've actually chosen to disobey the Lord by serving rather than resting or practicing healthy self-care. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things that also I, I would I would say to to this person or people struggling with this tension is that there there is a difference between doing and loving. And I think when we don't practice the right amount of love for ourselves, I, first of all, I think our capacity to love others diminishes. Um, but also I think... We have the capacity to do, but just because we have the capacity to do doesn't mean that we are doing in love. Absolutely. I think when we are when we are approaching our limits or past our limits, our ability to do well, to do in love, to give in love is hampered, is diminished. And you know, yes, you could uh, give five hours to someone or help them do this or help them do that or serve at a soup kitchen or do these things every day, every day, every day, every day. But at some point, uh, you may still be serving the food, you may still be giving the time, but your attitude, your countenance will reflect something less than love. It's very difficult to be self-aware of that because because we're aware that we're doing the action, mm-hmm. you know, that I'm serving at the soup kitchen or I'm serving at Chatham Serves or I'm helping this neighbor or I'm listening to this child or I'm, I'm talking to this parent. You know, I'm, I'm doing all of the same stuff. And so... What we're aware of is that the doing keeps happening. Yeah. And it's much harder to be aware of the look on our face or, you know, as, as you said, the tone in your voice, that sort of thing. And I think that the Lord knows that self-care is necessary. He knows it not just because he created us and designed us to need mm-hmm. times of rest and for refreshment to be necessary, but he also knows it because he has lived a human life. Yes. And, and in Jesus, you see someone who practices both radical service and self-care and someone who links those two things together in very meaningful ways. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree. It's hard to advocate for the type of um, self-sacrificial giving that that doesn't care for oneself and and while reading the the life of Jesus with with clear eyes, so I mean Jesus took naps. Uh, Jesus, Amen. Be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. Take a nap. Uh, Alex actually has that on his water bottle. Uh, yes, which imitate. I think, it, I think uh, is the one who slapped that on there for him. Could be. It could Good be. advice. Uh, and uh, he he ate meals with friends. He spent time alone. He went away from the crowds at times. Uh, he didn't always do everything. And this is Jesus. And there's some of us that want to outpace Jesus in our giving of ourselves. And that's just, it's just not the invitation. 
Yeah, and in fact, it's unhealthy yeah. for us to do that. Now, here at Chatham Community Church, we have a tradition. Alex, in particular, has this tradition, and since I'm subbing in for him, I'm gonna I'm gonna play his part. So, if you flip it the other way, yeah, because there's always you know if danger of going off the road to the left side. Perhaps there's a danger of going off the road to the right side. So what would we say or what could we say to the person who is constantly invoking self-care in order to avoid service or sacrifice? The sort of person who says, yeah, I know, I I hear the need to help my neighbor who's struggling financially, but I really need new rims for my Lexus because hashtag self-care. (laughs) <laughs> do, do, you know, do you know what I mean? Like, what, like what, what, what do we say to, to that? Because I think there's some of this, you know, for, for me, is I'm concerned, I'm so concerned I'm going to go off the other edge mm-hmm. that I would rather stay in this ditch than risk going in the other one. So if, if there's some good guardrails to keep me from going into the, the selfishness ditch, that, then I think it makes it help easier for me to get out of the... Um, Selflessness ditch. Selfless. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever. Or I'd false call selflessness, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, it, it, part of it is I think we're far more comfortable living in certainties than intention. And there's there's tension in this. There's, there's no guarantee that we're always going to get it right. So that's one. I think there's some trial and error involved. I think if you're never saying yes to opportunities to serve or to give of yourself or to give, then you're definitely in the wrong spot. That, that's a clear indicator. But if you're never saying no, yes, also, like, yeah, like it, like it, like you may need to make a uh, commitment. I'm going to say no to one thing a week. Mm-hmm. That could be healthy for that some could, of us. That could be healthy. I had a uh, oh, this is a long time ago. Someone I knew who was a few years older than than uh, than those of us who were serving in a particular ministry, and uh, he was a sought after preacher. And he had made this commitment that he would never say yes to an invitation on the phone. Okay. He would always say uh, that he needed time. He would always talk about it with his wife. He would always pray. And only after letting it sit for a while and looking at his um, schedule and thinking through what, it, what, the op- what saying yes would mean, would he consider it. Uh, and so guardrails like that are helpful. Um, I think... It's helpful to have people in your life who know which extreme you're in. So if you're in the extreme of always saying no, then have people in your life who can who have sort of a, a uh, they, they can say uh, no. You actually need to say yes to something this mm, week. Yeah, uh, you've actually given okay. permission to call you out. And then people who have the kind of permission to to speak and say you you have to stop. You can't say yes to one more thing. Um, it, it's it. And and then be okay with making a mistake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, Tim Keller tells a story in his. Uh, it, well, actually, I, he I've heard him tell the story on a podcast, but he and Kathy Keller, his wife, wrote about it in uh, their book, "The Meaning of Marriage." Is that what the book's called? Perhaps something like that. They, they tell a story about uh, a time when he had said that his work would calm down after a year in New York. And three years in, he's still going at full speed. And she is in the kitchen. I think the kitchen. She's in the house and she starts breaking their china. 
like breaking their wedding china. She just has a hammer and she's just taking little teacups and smashing them. And he's like, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? And she's like, I am showing you what you are doing to our marriage because you can't stop. Smash. You know, like giving him this visual demonstration of the consequence in his relationships of him being unable to say no to service. You know, I I think one of the things that's been very helpful for me over the years, something I heard from Mike Breen and the 3DM group, is this idea that we're not looking for balance, we're looking for rhythm. Yes. Have you ever heard this? Yes. And I think I think this is something with that service and self-care mm-hmm. thing, is that there's seasons, maybe days, weeks, months, maybe even years, that are high intensity on service, and then there needs to be time that's high intensity on self-care. And in fact, you can only go as far onto the service side. It's kind of like the pendulum can only swing as high up on service as it's been pulled back on self-care. Mm-hmm. And so the, the same way, if you're pulling way, way, way back, self-care, 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 building up all this power, it is to be used for the sake of service. Mm-hmm. And you've done all of this great service. It's time to swing back to self-care. Mm-hmm. And that's part of what it looks like to be healthy. It's not to seek balance, but to seek rhythm. Yeah, that, that's, a good, that's a good word. Because I think it says dangerous. You can continue to run on empty. Uh, eventually, your car is going to break down. But you can also over, overfill the tank. Oh, yeah. I've done that before. Have you ever done that before? No. So one time I was at a 7-Eleven in Fort Myers. Can I tell this story? Sure. 7-Eleven in Fort Myers. And I do it, you know, pop prop the thing and go inside to go to the bathroom and get a candy bar, 56-ounce soda, something. I don't know what I was doing in there. But when I came out, the little mechanism that's supposed to stop it from, that once the tank is full, it's supposed to, it didn't work. Oh, my. And so there's just gas pouring out, you know, out of my car, all over the ground, you know, had rung up a bill of like 60, 70 bucks. Yikes. And, uh... You know, how do you clean up a massive spill of gasoline? Mm-hmm. How do you clean up after a, a gasoline fight? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I drove away really quickly and it was fine. Um, they've got no smoking signs, right? They do. Yeah. Yeah. And they even added those no cell phone signs a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Those are a little harder. The no smoking sign, it just logically makes sense. The no cell phone sign. Uh, doesn't register for me in the same way because I'm not an engineer. Yeah, it doesn't register for me as very much anymore either. Uh, so, Jaime, is there anything else you wanted to talk about? We we had our our one awesome question from our best question asker. Anything else you want to talk about on our last episode of the Q and A podcast? Yeah, sure. Well, I I had a, a a bit of time during the sermon where I was able to talk about the part in the passage that that mentions when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. Uh, but then, you know, when I became a man, I put away child childish things. And uh, this idea of a maturing love, and and I'm curious what you think about that. Yeah, that was something I wasn't able to get to in the message. It uh, it was in my first draft, the one that went 45 minutes, mm. and uh, and so it got trimmed out of there yeah. in order to make it a little bit more focused. That's something that happens a lot to me in sermons. I, I think I could naturally preach for about an hour, and people can naturally listen to me for about 20 minutes. And so, <laughs> and so 30 to 35 minutes is a good compromise. But I, I think what I, what I was hoping to be able to communicate is that the way we experience and express love, 
So the way we receive and give love changes as we have more experience with love. So over time, as you are loved, you become capable of receiving more and more and more love. It's almost like, I I think some of us think of love as when you first become a follower of Jesus, you get this huge, massive infusion of love, and then it slows to a trickle over time. But I think it actually is the opposite, is that we will have more and more capacity to receive love as we receive love. So as we move into eternity, our capacity to receive the love of God into ourselves grows and grows and grows and grows. And the same is true for our capacity to give love. Mm. Uh, Children have a particular type of love to give, but as time goes on, there's more nuance, more complexity, more depth, more meaning. Uh, When you've been hurt really, really badly over and over and over again, and have forgiven over and over and over again, it does make that loving expression of forgiveness more meaningful yeah. when you give it. And, and so there's some, there's a kind of love that I think you can only give when you're 70 years old and have lived a rough life. Mm. And, and I think that's part of what Paul's getting at in the passage is that love is not a, a fixed thing, but it's something that grows in us as we grow, that changes us as we give it and receive it. And, that will ultimately, um, will ultimately make us into the sort of person that Jesus wants us to be, hmm. which is a person who's capable of giving and receiving, growing and more nuanced amounts of love. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great point. Um, I, I I also think it 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 allows us to expect from people different things when it comes to love, or at least it should turn our attention uh, towards that. There there are things that we can't expect that we don't expect from a three-year-old in terms of love. That we shouldn't expect, yeah. right? I mean, you know, I think a lot of the parental disappointment I hear is people expecting something from their kids that their kids are just not developmentally capable of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the same way, it, it's when, when people are either following Jesus or are exploring following Jesus, the, our expectations of what their love can look like, what their expression of love can look like needs to adjust accordingly. Same with what we expect from ourselves. Yeah, not not condescendingly. No, not at all. Yeah. So, could you give me an example of that? Sure. Um, there, and I'll, I'll take an example from my own life. This is a, a hard a hard earned lesson for me. Uh, when I started to follow Jesus, uh, I was very much aware of my own gaps and very much aware of how my capacity to love well, in reflection, how my capacity to love needed to grow. Uh, But then as I grew, I started to expect whatever level I was at in terms of my ability to love people to be how everyone else loved. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, and so I, I burned a lot of bridges with people because they would do things that I considered foolish because they would be foolish for me to do them in terms of how I loved or how I withheld love or how I treated people who were loving towards me. So, you know, there were a number of people around our college campus who were, um, who, who were caught in cycles of addiction and uh, who we sought to help out. And I, I got frustrated at times because they took advantage of us um, at times. Not always, but at times. You know, they, they, but, but then 
what 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 should I expect from them? Uh, they they were genuine at times in the way that they expressed their appreciation and love for us, and even their interest in God. But what what like they were new to this? They were exploring this, and they had very real struggles and needs that needed to be addressed. Um, I think over the years, uh, I've I've grown in compassion, partly because I've seen the difference it makes when when people are held to the appropriate standard when when yeah. people are, are held to the appropriate expectations yeah you know one area where i've seen this play out in particular is in conversations about race and yeah. ethnicity mm-hmm. and i've seen this particularly as as white folk begin engaging the conversation they grow yeah and their ability to show love to people of different ethnic groups across racial lines. And as they grow, they face a growing temptation to look down their noses on others who have not been on the same journey. Mm -hmm. And there's this cruelty that can begin, uh, condescension that can begin toward family members, towards neighbors, towards coworkers who maybe haven't had the same exposure, the same opportunities, or, or at least haven't been on the same journey of love across racial and ethnic lines. And it's a real challenge for those of us who are committed to cross-cultural relationships, to racial reconciliation, to multi-ethnicity, to understand that some of us have had advantages in that conversation that others haven't, and to treat the folks who are not as experienced in the conversation with a whole lot of grace, a whole lot of compassion, and a whole lot of appreciation. Because those first few steps are really hard. And if someone, you know, at step two is hammering on you because you're not at step six, it makes it really hard to take step three. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And it, it, it's it, the, the, the idea of a love that is patient, kind, doesn't envy, doesn't boast, is not proud, and all the other things that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13, and even the fuller picture that Scripture paints, um, that's a challenging love. Uh, it's a love that I don't think any of us reflect perfectly. Um, I think to treat someone who's at the start, who is maybe struggling with not being easily angered, and expecting them to not only master that, but also be patient, honor others, not delighting in evil, always persevering, always hoping. It can, that can crush people. It can, it can make it seem so impossible that it's not worth trying. And that is, that does a disservice. I think that what we can do with our desire, both for ourselves and for others that, that we can, that they continue to grow in love is simply to encourage them in where they are growing and then invite them to take whatever the next step might be. Um, And that requires us to have the confidence that the Holy Spirit's work and the life of someone who is committed to following Jesus will be evidenced in the arena of love. That that if you watch the life of anyone who is following Jesus, there will be transformation in the arena of love. They will be becoming more patient, more kind. Like this whole list, Mm -hmm. that, that there will be transformation somewhere in there, somewhere in them. That transformation is is uh, the default, right, uh, is, is the, um, the expectation. And if there's not transformation, huge red flags should go up for all of us. Yeah. And it's an opportunity to run to the Lord and to say, hey, I'm expecting transformation here, and you're the one who can bring it, and I, I want to cooperate with it, 
and I'm not seeing it. Mm-hmm. So give me eyes to see. Yep. Or uh, you got to be starting something. You want to be starting. Is yeah. that is that a misuse of the? Yeah, perhaps. That, perhaps right. Um, yeah, but you know, just to to say to the Lord, like I need you to get to work. Yeah, there was a a, a person who was coming to our church in Nyack, uh, New York, which is where we were previously, who I had a conversation with, and um, they uh, they 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 had they had had negative experience in churches. They had they had some very obvious uh, patterns and habits that were harmful to them and harmful to people around them. But they had a very genuine interest in following God. And, and uh, the person had a conversation with me and was like, um, you know, what about these things? You know, are you going to be pointing them out every time? You know, I've been hurt by that before and whatnot. And I said, you know, uh, I believe that the Holy Spirit is at work in you. I believe that you're following after God. And I believe that he's going to bring up the things that he needs to bring up when it's appropriate. Uh, now, when it's appropriate, when he brings it up, if you face them, we'll talk. We'll talk and we'll engage. But other than that, I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit is going to is, has His hand on your life. Awesome, and we're going to trust that for you. If you're listening to this, that the Holy Spirit has His hand on your life. We hope that that's true. We want that to be true. We're praying that it'll be true. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. <laughs>